Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Battlefield Show. I am Scott Gibson, your Commander-in-Chief, guiding you through the Battlefield of Life. You know what you're here for. No more messing about. Stick the tape in. Hit the track. Onwards! Welcome to episode six, I believe, of the Battlefield Show. Thank you to everyone who, as always, has listened and got in touch. Um, some nice responses after last week's episode. It's Monday again, team. Eh? This weekend. It goes fa- It goes too quick. I think we can all get even somebody whose majority of their work is Friday and Saturday. <clears throat> And you're going to have to excuse me um, throughout this episode because I appear to have developed a rather tickly cough in the last 10 minutes. So that's going to irritate us all the way through this episode, no doubt. Yeah, someone who works uh, mostly weekends, it just goes by far too quick. Now, my, my missus as a civilian, like many of you people listen, many of you wonderful people who keep this country moving, although it does feel as if no fucker works a job anymore. Um, <coughs> even during the week when you try to go and get something done, it just feels as if everywhere is fucking swamped constantly. Like, there's, there's no there's no kind of work anymore. There's nobody working 95. Anyway, so yes, weekend has gone too quick. I hope you've had a good week. Um, what, what have you been doing? What have you been up to since we last spoke, man? Eh? What have you been doing? Have you done something your week? 
Are we done fuck all? Who cares? Eh? But we're back Monday morning yet again. I've had a had an interesting week. I had a, a, a lovely gig last weekend, Sunday. Um, huge shout out to everybody who came along to the new material night at the Classic Grand. It was brilliant, man. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, it was very good for me. I got to work through some some new stuff, obviously, as new material, but actually some newer stuff from when I did a new material night two weeks ago in Edinburgh. So it was great to actually get through that. And <clears throat> I think there's I think there's going to be some stuff in there that, that it, it might make it into the new show if I can find a way to mm, fit it into whatever the theme is going to be. But there will certainly be some stuff in there, I think, that'll, that can maybe be used for for club work, you know, or, or certainly used again at some point. So, hugely beneficial. Um, so, thank you to everyone who came along. Now, um, I'm going to be doing, obviously, new material throughout 2020. It seems odd saying 2020. That feels like a a very futuristic year that we are going to be alive in the year 2020. Um, still without hoverboards. The world is light as. But the, um, the dates for new material nights... Um, are going to be coming up pretty soon, uh, definitely before the end of this year. Um, I'm going to list all the dates for 2020. So if you'd like to come along to any of the new material nights, you're more than welcome to do so. Um, I'm going to be doing something quite interesting with the podcast as well um, for new material nights and some other gigs. So look out for that when, when it drops. As always, scottgibsoncomedy.co.uk. Um, you should all know it by now. is the best place to find out about any information or gigs that I'm doing or stuff that's coming up. Um, <coughs> oh, this cough, man. The only thing, new microphone as well. And, I mean, you could... This thing could pick up an internal fart. That's how fucking strong it is. So I'm very conscious of coughing, drinking, or swallowing, swallowing, hello, said the the vicar, anywhere near this bloody microphone, we may have to drop the levels on this ever so slightly, <coughs> okay, make it not technical with the levels, so yes, it's been a good week, um, I, I've, I've watched some interesting things, I even went fucking axe throwing, axe throwing, yeah, professional axe thrower now, you can stick that in the CV, I've completed a one hour course, in a room that felt like some farm that's gone out of business with foot and mouth and the families got together and went, what are we going to do now? The coups are dead. And they've went, hey, fucking stick some hay down, get the axes in, hipsters will pay 40 quid to throw axes. Wednesday night in the, the Gibson household's date night, me and the missus will do something Wednesday night, um, dinner and a movie, classic, or whatever it is, and uh, this week, after a quick Google search, I found that there's fucking axe throwing in Edinburgh, up at Summer Hall, which is an amazing venue, um, very popular destination during the Fringe Festival, but it has enormous amount of events all year round, and if you are in Edinburgh, or close to Edinburgh, or find yourself in Edinburgh for the day or the night, Check out Summer Hall, man, because more than likely there will be something on um, in the venue that will interest you. 
and you go along now. I don't know how long the axe throwing is there for. I, I did see on the website that I think they're in Edinburgh and Belfast, so this could be um, the new IRA training camp. I don't quite know, but Belfast and Edinburgh seems to be the two places for them. And uh, it was great, man. It was great. <coughs> the thing I liked about it is there's only... I thought it was going to be like, you know, you see in America where you go and it's like a bowling alley for axe throwing. You know what I mean? There's like fucking 20 lanes and others. And they're all bevering and fucking... Hey! Just throwing axes, right? And we've all seen the video, like, people throwing them and they bounce back and it hits up. That kind of thing, right? That's what I thought it was going to be. But it was it was more... Yeah, it wasn't as fun as that. <laughs> it was more controlled environment. So we went in, there was us and another couple um, who were, were a bit dishy. She was alright, she seemed like a laugh, he seemed like a bit, if he worked in finance or something, he seemed a bit like a douchebag, but the wee dude take it was cool, and um, showing you different throwing techniques, eh? Because, believe me, you think, here's the thing, right, as a, a red-blooded male, I thought that you would just pick up the axe and you'd launch a fucker. You know, and it would be easy enough to hit the target, right? There was also a part of me that thought, hey, it, it can't be that easy. There's obviously hidden techniques, skills involved in throwing an axe. Let me tell you right now, there isn't. There's none. It literally is just picking an axe up and fucking launching it, right? Now, I would say nine times out of ten when the guy who was meant to be the, the tutor was demonstrating the different techniques, the fucker never got one to land ever. I think he managed to get one axe in the fucking target the whole hour we were there. And he's maybe teaching us. You know, and he said, maybe maybe try and stand back a bit, Scott, give yourself more distance. I'm fucking getting them in it. I'm I'm killing zombies here. You know? First one's your classic axe up fucking shaklaki, right? Away it goes, and then you do a wee double hander over the head routine. A wee turn the axe so it faces you. Fuck it, wee spinning number. It was exciting. It was exciting. I'm going to be honest with you. When you launch an axe, like full pelt, right? Because a couple of times you're going like 50%. We see the one when you get a bit confident and you go fucking ba-boom, right? The noise it makes when it fucks into a bit of wood. And then the terrifying bit is when you go up to the target to remove your axes from it and you realise how fucking deep this thing is bedded in, you're going, if that was some cunt's chest, <laughs> you'd be dead. It made me rethink Braveheart when I was watching it. It made me rethink kind of every, you know, medieval gladiator, viking thing that I've seen where some cunt launches an axe into something and you're like, I think I could survive it. No, you, no, you couldn't. Some cunt threw a two-handed over-the-heat number right into your chest. You'd be a goner, man. And the worrying thing was, one-handed, my missus, right, pretty pretty rubbish, right? A lot of them bouncing off, high, low. See, when she went two-handed, like, proper barbarian-style fucking whoosh, over the top of the heat, absolute 100% kill rate. It was terrifying. It was terrifying. Slightly erotic, but terrifying. I'm like, if I ever came home and she had an axe in her hand, as long as one hand, I'm fine, but if she reaches over the setting for the old fucking backhand grip, oh, start running. Start running. But it was good, man. We hour in a barn launching axes. 
the only thing was now you had a taste for it. Do you know what I mean? As soon as I left, I was like, I feel as if I should be walking with two axes here, man. <laughs> Staying a couple of daisy cutters, taking some of these ankles out. You'd get a name quite quick for yourself. If been a mad cunt if you just walked about a housing scheme with two axes. <laughs> just jamming doors. Any hassle tonight, hen? Anybody up the close fucking setting bangers off? Or you two axes in the back of the neck. Interesting, but maybe not what some people might think of as a date night, but hey, in the Gibson household, throwing axes, it's a date night, man. Interesting. Uh, would I go back? I would go back if it was more of a, a, a free-for-all. Like if I was given an hour just myself with a target to go fucking bananas at it and start launching axes. I don't know if I'd go back with the whole kind of, you know, here's other people. Let's talk you through the different techniques. If I could pay money and I was just in a room with maybe me and a mate and, you know, hunter axes just fucking go mad. I would do that, but archery is the next one, man. I really want to fucking do archery. I don't know if I'm, if I think it's going to be like what's that? What's that program? I've never watched. It's no Highlander. What the fuck is it? When the lassie goes back in time, everybody's gone mad for it. Some Scottish thing. What is it? Can't remember. But I don't know if, if in my mind I'm training for that. That I'm going to somehow travel back in time and wake up and need the skills of. Axe throwing and archery, but I think archery needs to be the next one that we get involved in. Um, as I'm recording this as well, the, the cat has decided to go behind the camera as if he's directing this, which is a very odd situation to be in. So yes, that was that was a bit of axe throwing this week. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about that is kind of came up. Well, I saw I, I basically was I fell down a, a YouTube rabbit hole the other day. Um, which I'm sure all of us have done it at some point in our life where you're watching a video and then before you know it, you're three years in and you're watching stuff about conspiracies or the fucking ten golden buzzer moments for Britain's Got Talent. Right? And either you're you're in floods of tears, you're an emotional wreck, or you're sitting going, the fucking the Chinese are listening through my Amazon. Right, whatever it is. Somehow I stumbled across a clip which is quite easy to do because I imagine, I don't know how these algorithm things work, but I imagine they fucking, it's the same shite you kind of get fed all the time. It was some clips of this morning, right? And the old, Gina DeCampo. Gina DeCampo was on one of them. And I think what happened was I, w I was sending an email or I was doing a bit of work and it just kind of automatically played the next clip. And it wasn't until I heard the voice, I thought it's fucking mad Gino. It's mad Gino. But one thing that he was talking about, and this is this is sometimes the thing that happens with people who are a bit mad, or a bit eccentric. They say stuff and it's very easy to dismiss them. But then when you actually start to think about what it is they're saying, they go, yes, you may be onto something here. The concept of basically what he was talking about was that he does not accept that we only have one life. Now, that doesn't mean that you are born again or you're, you're reincarnated, nothing like that. What what it means by it is that if you live to say about 80 years of age, right? let's just say 80 for a number, he doesn't accept that within that time you only live one life. 
So the concept of it is, is you will live two, three, four, five, six, as many lives as you want to live. And within that idea, it basically talks about changes that you make to your life that will alter or determine where that stage in your life goes. So the idea to give you an example would be that you could say I am on the, the second life of my journey, if you like. In, that, in my first life, I was a, a civilian. Like you, I worked in a call centre. You know, I had an office job. And then I made changes and, and, then, and then I became a, a comedian. And that was the, the second life that I'm living. And there, there will be changes within that. Again, now, I <clears throat> very recently have started to focus more on I've got a real passion for, for food and for, for cooking and I've started to think more about that and more about long term stuff as to I, I will always do comedy. I don't think that will ever well I know that will never stop. I'll always I'll always tour and I'll always write shows. I know that for a fact until the day I die. But there may be another life I've yet to live, I don't really know how to explain it, but I can certainly understand the, the kind of ideas that he's trying to put across, and I don't know if any of you have either currently living something similar, or have made drastic changes in your life that you could identify as being in, you know, a second stage or a third stage, whatever that may be within your life, but it was just something that I thought was quite interesting, if you start to look at it that way, there's no reason why any of us couldn't make changes at any point in our life to move down a different path or do something completely new. I think gone are the days when, you know, probably my grandfather's generation, I don't even think my father's, I would say my grandfather's generation is probably the last one that you would get a job and stay in that job for 50 years. Do you know what I mean? I think gone are the days of that. I don't think that people have jobs now or, or careers they may stay within the same industry for their working life but I, I think it's very few and far between now that you'll find anyone who sticks either with the same job or, or sticks within even the, even the same industry and I don't know if that is because we have access now to so many different things or so many different channels of education there are so many jobs now that exist that one didn't exist before or two you didn't even know existed. Things that you can make a, a living from. But it was just something that was that was quite interesting to me and it, and it got me thinking a bit as to as to somehow a lot of the time I, I focus on what's coming up next uh, with regards to like comedy, what what I'm going to be doing next, what's the next show, what we're pushing next. And, and the real question could be what what do I want to do next or is there something else I want to do you know because there's no reason why you couldn't change again and change completely from what you're you're currently doing now obviously at the time when Gino's talking about it it's a bit mental because he's giving it I want to fucking move to you know Sicily and breed horses and you're like fucking hell Gino you, know, you, you, were, you were on a path there mate to something something quite interesting you know I refuse to believe that, uh, this is not his accent, but this is the accent he's getting. I refuse to believe that uh, people only live in the one life, you know? I'm going to go to the breed horses. Oh, fucking cunts have he's not. He's got too much money. But what would you do, I mean, if you could do anything? 
what would you do? I mean, I wouldn't be breeding horses, but I know a lot of people would probably just like to sit in their ass or be a kept man or woman. But if you mean if you really realistically know with with the opportunities that are out there, and you may think they're few and far between, but if you could do anything in your life and you are clear on what that is, there's nothing really stopping you from doing it other than yourself. And in, a, in an odd way, you are, you're, you're almost your most destructive and strongest barrier, even for success or progress, because it is incredibly difficult to remain positive and remain focused, you know? And if you allow even the slightest bit of negative thought in, it can completely shut you down. I mean, I, I look back, and I can only talk from experience, and I look back to when I first started stand-up, and I wanted to do it for four or five years before it. And I kept putting myself down, I kept putting myself down, because I, I said to myself that if I do it, I will be shit, or it won't be what I think it is in my head. And those thoughts continued for five years. Until eventually, I started and now I'm almost, well, I'm nine years in. And it's my full-time job, you know. So how, how many of us are have stopped ourselves from moving into that second stage or that third stage in our life because we have continued to doubt ourselves or, or doubt our ability to do it? I don't know. Maybe Gino Zafi's not. Maybe he's no. But I thought it was quite interesting. It's amazing the, the, how powerful your mind can be, you know. Are you wanting, are you wanting this, Eric? Aye, come on. Get. This is a problem with trying to record a podcast when there's a cat just walking freely amongst you. Um, I, I think, so the, the thing I'm trying to kind of do is be a bit more positive in my mindset. Um, I spoke about a little bit in the show about removing things negative from your from your life. And a lot of that is based around social media because that, sadly, is, is a lot of the place where people still have their interactions or they get their news from or, or they keep up to date with people. But it can be, it can have a huge, you know, can have a huge negative impact on your on your mental health, you know. And uh, I found myself this week, anyway, certainly becoming kind of more drawn into the, the endless scrolling for just for no reason. Um there is no one who have much particular interest in it. The people who are, are friends, um, you know, I stay in touch with. So, social media for me, sadly, is just more of a tool for 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 work and to promote myself. And as someone who is terrible at self promotion, it becomes a battle because I, I feel as if I'm constantly trying to sell things on it. You know, try to punch stuff, whether it be gigs or whether it be projects that I'm doing. And it's it's tiring, you know, because you you feel as if that is the that's the the channels you have to go down to let people know what's going on, you know. Even even with this podcast, I I, I have to tweet about it and Facebook and Instagram updates and everything else. When I I just want to focus on the the creative side of things, you know. 
and I understand that's part of the job, but I, I enjoy recording these, I enjoy writing material, I enjoy doing shows, but I certainly don't enjoy having to promote it. And maybe that's why I've never been very good at it, I don't know. But, like I said, I'm trying to be more positive about stuff. Um, I, I had saw a, a, a post, I saw a post that was talking about the balance of your health, how your physical health and mental health goes down to it. And I actually watched the, the documentary Game Changer, right, that's on Netflix. And um, it was interesting. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's uh, it's basically a UFC fighter, uh, an English guy who lives in the States. And he becomes injured. And he starts to look into more um, on the recovery side and how he could either change his diet or change his routine or change the, the process in which he sculpts himself for fighting so that he can recover quicker. Now, what, one thing that is technology has grown and certainly something that I had very small dealings with when I was younger, when I used to play rugby, I played it quite decently. I played district for Scotland and I had a Scotland trial when I was younger. And one thing that was coming about then was the kind of these um, basic fridges these freezers when they would look at putting you in cold conditions after a training session uh, in order to help muscle recovery that was the that was the thought behind it right uh, it's the same way like a lot of so high impact sports so you get like rugby and a lot of american footballs they go inside these kind of air compression tank things it looks like a big inflatable bed right and they lie inside it and you can either put different oxygens in it or you, you bring the temperature right down. And a lot of that is to help with muscle recovery and, and basically to help you recover quicker. But the documentary itself focuses on plant-based diet, right? Veganism. Now, I, I, am, all, I am all on board with people who want to be vegans. That's, that's fine. I think you the choices you make as to what goes into your, your body is completely fine. I I start to get, not annoyed, but I start to kind of lose any, sympathy is the wrong word again, but I, I lose support for it when people start doing things like storming abattoirs and, you know, throwing blood over people and, and just this, the mad shit that going, fucking animals are dying. Listen, animals are... You know, this this stuff happens. Right? A lot of this is culture. You're not you're not going to go to a place like Argentina, right? That's built on gauchos and, and beef cattle, and tell these people they can't eat meat, right? It's not going to happen. You're not going to go to African villages where they trade in livestock, you know, or they will sacrifice animals for for feasts, you know, for religious. And you're you're not going to stop them doing that, right? So, but if we look at strictly the medical side of it. It was an interesting documentary. Um, it did make me think about a few things. I don't know if I've just became very sceptical in the last few years. And I believe, as I think most of you do, or should, the world is powered by money. And that's what makes the world go round. Nothing else. There is no... If people can find a way to monetize the climate change activists, then that will become the next thing. Money makes the world go round. I think a lot of the problem is that they have maybe misbranded some of these things. For example, climate change, when we talked about it as global warming, I can remember being told, you know, we're, we're going to get up to like 
40 odd degrees now if they had told us back then that actually what's going to happen with global warming is that people are going to be getting flooded and you'll be getting absolute horrific even worse rain than you already get in scotland we probably would have been recycling 20 years ago and i think that pushing this plant-based diet now even me just now who my my girlfriend's obviously vegetarian um and and i have started to eat far far less meat than i than i used to but whenever, even now, whenever I hear things like a plant-based diet, it still doesn't sit right with me because in my head that is eating a salad, breakfast, lunch and dinner, you know, showing leaves down your head. And that is not the case at all. Maybe if these things are rebranded as a, as a meat-free diet, then it might become more, you know, palatable for people or people certainly can understand it. But one of the things that was interesting is that they, they took... Athletes, now these are focused on athletes again, and, that's, and I've heard some people shouting and bawling about the documentary, but none of us are going to be athletes, right? I'm no, I'm not going to start tomorrow, I know we've talked about, uh, but in the third stage of your life or whatever, I'm not going to become an Olympian, right? So I'm not training at that level. But they, they certainly took these athletes and um, they gave them burritos for some reason, they were all getting burritos. And one would have a protein like chicken, um, and another one would have um, a protein supplement. So like seitan or a corn or something like that. And then the, the last one was just all plant-based. So it would be like they would have, I think one of was like black beans or something like that as a, as a kind of bulker. And they would eat them, they would take blood from them and then they would review it the next day. And basically what it is, is it's talking about how your body will process um, animal proteins against proteins that are plant-based and if you look at it in the sense of your your blood cells and how quickly they recover and, and how important blood cells are in the body moving about they they basically take these samples and your blood will settle at the bottom and then everything else separates it and depending on how clear or cloudy that liquid is depends basically on how healthy your blood is and this is all based on them having you know food 24 hours and i mean you could you could clearly see that the difference in the, these guys bloods you know and the and the results that came back but again my whole thing was none of us are trained to become athletes now if you are looking to be a bit healthier or you know live a better diet there's certainly there's no way you could argue that you probably have to eat less meat than you're already eating just now and I, I, there's no way I could argue that. I mean, I would have meat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner sometimes. I would say five days a week. Well, you're having at least two meals a day would be heavy animal protein. And if that is having an effect on how your body breaks that down, it, it surely is. Uh, and again, now, I'm never going to become full vegan, right? I can't give up cheese. I mean, it's fucking, there's no way it can happen. Jesus sent from God above, you know. Can you get up cheese, man? Right, so that's that's not happening. But I already have moved away from having meat as part of my my meal seven days a week, and as maybe now I'll do you know two or three. And I think if if we all did that, um, it would it would certainly ease up some of the, the issues that we're having 
with regards to, to global warming. It can certainly not have anything but a positive effect on that. And if anything, it's going to have a better effect on your diet. One thing about cooking vegetarian or, or looking at meat-free options is it certainly gets you more creative with, with cooking and what you're having because there's something very easy about having meat, potatoes and veg, you know? And that will be... And you may try and spice up your meals, you know, or try and think about you're doing something different, but a lot of it will just come down to a big bit of protein, potatoes and veg, and that's your dinner. There's nothing wrong with that. Hey, steak, chips and mushrooms, happy days. But if you're looking at meat-free options and you're looking at ways to maybe make your diet more exciting, vegetarian's probably the way to do it. One thing that stands out in the in the documentary, The Game Changers, though, is, again, it's money. They had Arnold Schwarzenegger who was on, right? And interestingly, it was looking at how they were told back in the day that eating meat is you no know, the manly thing to do. And and a lot of marketing campaigns back then were like, hey, have a have a dad side burger or a dad side steak, that kind of thing, right? Real men eat beef, all that stuff. And that's generated through marketing, right? That's generated through companies because they want to sell a product, they want you to buy a product, and they want to make money. But so do these companies who make meat-free alternatives, you know, so so do these companies who offer vegetarian options, who offer vegan options. Now, if, if the science, and I understand it, you could fucking buy a scientist nowadays. Anybody could, you know, I could go to any one of these think tanks and say, listen, there's a hundred grand, right? I want you to say that eating fucking your toenails is good for you. It puts calcium back in your body and we should all eat our toenails, right? You'd get it read out in Parliament and you'd fucking have people with a campaign going, hey, we're... You know, we're, we're real vegans, man. We're fucking, we're eating our toenails, right? That's, we're eating fucking byproduct here. You could do that, right? You could find some fucker with a, with a degree or letters after his name who's willing to say, if you eat your toenails, you'll grow and live to be a hundred year old, right? You do that. So if 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the science was telling you to eat meat and now the science is telling you that you shouldn't eat meat, I imagine there's probably truth somewhere in the middle. And that truth probably is you shouldn't be eating meat seven days a week. Maybe a couple of days, ease off a bit. And that's it. I think that's what we're getting for it. Now, if you're trained to be a UFC fighter or you're trained to be a fucking Olympian, maybe you employ somebody to come in, right? And maybe they do a wee diet plan for you. And they say, hey, you're going to have four cucumbers and a celery stick. Five times a week, you're like, oh, fucking, I'm going to kick his gun in. But, for a normal punter like us, ease up the meat. Ease up the meat. Have a bit of sides, wee side salad. Enjoy lentils, man. Eh? Fucking game changer. We buy old pure lentils. Lovely jubbly. Give game changer a watch, man. It's, eh... Uh, it's decent. And the other thing is, it was when I watched it, the next, you know, when it offers you suggestions of things to watch, it was super size me. I was like, fucking hell, man. Whoever is doing these algorithms is absolutely amazing. Here's a documentary about changing your life and becoming fucking meat free. And then here's one that's going to want you to eat McDonald's. Absolutely fucking amazing. Right. Let's do, let's do some interesting facts, shall we? Um, let's do some facts about Scotland. Now, Today, I, um, I've actually found some stuff that we're going to focus on. Scots law. Eh? Fucking yes. Scottish law. Now, the first one, um, it's an interesting one, certainly for 
the political situation that we're in currently. Brexit's been pushed back. I don't know what your opinion on Brexit is. I don't know if you voted to remain or leave. I couldn't give a fuck. At this point, I'm past caring. I'm past fucking caring. I I was politically involved up to Scottish independence and then when we lost that, I went, do you know what, fuck the world. There's no hope. And then when Brexit happened and I voted to remain and England made us leave, I was like, fucking, I should have learned the last time to get involved. And now, here we are. We've got another fucking general election, right? So, interesting fact for you. Wearing a full suit of armour in the Houses of Parliament is illegal. I'll say that again. Wearing a full suit. Now, I don't know where they stand on just the helmet. It doesn't say that here. But... Wearing a full suit of armour in the Houses of Parliament is illegal. Um, this was brought in during the reign of Edward II. Nutter. Eh? Edward II, obviously the bit of bother with the fucking bailiffs turning up, trying to take away his footstool or the fancy curtains, and he's like, right, every cunt, suit armour off, easily made to get in, daily stabby stabby. England, uh, sorry, Edward II of England, uh, but the crime has rarely... Um, if ever been committed committed in modern times. So no one has committed the crime yet of wearing a full suit of armour in the House of Parliament. I suggest that may change. I suggest that may change. I don't know one day if fucking the bold Rees-Mogg rocks up in a full suit of armour to do PMQs. I don't know. I imagine Boris for a giggle would kick a boot in a full suit of armour. If I was the Prime Minister... I'd, I'd kick about in a full suit of armour, you know, number 10, end of the days, you've got access to everything, you probably get into the Tower of London, you could have a full suit of armour and the fucking, and a crown on, you know, nobody would know, nobody would be any the wiser, kick about, stick it back in the morning, eh, just run round number 10 a full suit of armour, there you go, you want to get yourself and boiler, wear a full suit of armour uh, in the House of Parliament, illegal. Uh, another um, law in Scotland, uh, being drunk and in charge of a cow. Illegal! Now, this is a, a cattle cow. It's not your partner. Although you shouldn't be drunk and in charge. No one's in charge of them. You know, they're their own person. But this is strictly uh, cattle. Um, according to the Licensing Act 1872, it is illegal to be both drunk and in charge of a cow. Now, you can be either or. It's not illegal to be drunk in Scotland. If that was illegal, jails would be over, the streets would be dead. Um, same way in charge of cattle, it's not illegal. Um, although some farmers probably should be questioned. Um, they are A lot of them are inbred, very simple people, farmers. But according to the Licensing Act 1872, it's illegal to be both drunk and in charge of a cow. Uh, this law also covers horses, also covers horses. So, fucking jockeys, need to start doing the breath test on the jockeys. Um, so make sure not to break into any farms after a night in the tiles. <laughs> Leave the jokes to me. Um, uh, interesting, right? Okay, and the uh, last one um, again with the with the political climate we're living in, um, this could change. Um, firing a cannon within three hundred yards of someone's house illegal. 
illegal. It's illegal to discharge, easy tiger, any cannon or other firearm or greater calibre than a common following piece within 300 yards of any dwelling house within the said district to the annoyance of any inhabitant. Let me say that again in normal speak. You can't fire your fucking gun within 300 yards of a country's. Now, there must be hussies within 300 yards of Edinburgh Castle. Is there no? So if if you happen to be one of these middle-class posh folk and you've got a wee cannon in your back garden, 300 yards. That's what you need from your dwelling before you fire one off. Now, I don't know what would happen to you. Let's just say after the 12th of December, if we wake up in Boris's Britain, eh, and he's in full charge, I imagine that if you were to put to the Tory party that, hey, as a as a strong backer of the campaign, maybe you've got a bit of Russian oil money in there, you might say, Boris, need you to change a few laws, mate. If I wish to wear my suit of armour, and drunkenly take my Highland cow for a walk whilst firing the cannon 200 yards from my neighbour's house, as I should be allowed to do that. I don't know what changed. I don't know if that is part. I haven't watched the telly this week, but the news anyway. I don't know if that is what the Tories are campaigning on. Maybe the Lib Dems. Hey, if you want to have a drink, take your cow for a walk, you should be able to do that in a modern society. I don't know. But there's where you go, man. Um, so you can't wear a suit of armour in the House of Parliament. A full suit of armour, right? Shin guards and a helmet. We think we're all right with that. But if you stick a base plate and a pair of metal wife fronts on, you're in bother, right? Full suit of armour. Illegal. Second, you can't be drunk and charge a cow. It's can't happen, right? I know there's a lot of situations where that could become effect. You need to watch yourself, Right? And obviously, with the unit levels now, I would say even half a pint, there's, there's no point in risking it, right? There's no point. If you know you're going to go and you're going to have half a pint, just just leave the cow at home, right? <laughs> leave the cow at home. And thirdly, if you fire in that cannon, that wee cannon of yours, do not fire your cannon less than 300 yards for your neighbour's house. Because there's a, there's a high chance you're getting a jail, man. There's a high chance you get in the jail. Hey, there's some interesting facts. I mean, that 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 was interesting. Even I was even I was on board for that, and I was reading them out. You know, now I don't know what these are before. So, hey, I'm as shocked as you and someone. There's your interesting facts for this episode. Doesn't it make you proud to be Scottish? Let's just do a, a couple of things very quickly and just get the way before we move on to some. Uh, questions um, gigs coming up December the 1st in Glasgow um, it is the last uh, outing of my tour show uh, White Noise this year before we move into 2020 dates you can get tickets from my website scottgibbonsoncomedy.co.uk or from the Glee Glasgow's website um, best thing to do is go to my website sign up to the mailing list if you haven't already done so follow the links to social medias Facebook I am Scott Gibson Comedy and Twitter and Instagram is at Big Scott Gibson. So follow me on there. And I'm sure you are already doing so if you're listening to the show. But subscribe 
to the podcast. Every single Monday, a brand new episode will drop. Um, it will help get our numbers up. If you can leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast, drop a wee review. Um, if you've enjoyed it, share it with friends. Share it with whoever you want, man. Fucking share it with cunts you don't like. I don't give a fuck. Bye, share it, subscribe. Get on SoundCloud, subscribe there. And subscribe to the channel on YouTube. Let us say there's going to be some interesting stuff coming up soon. So I want you to be there to get that. So get on the website and do it. Right, let's do some questions, man. Where are the fucking questions? They're there. Um, as always, you want to get in touch with the show, go on the social media, drop it. I will post out. Uh, I normally record these things. Actually, the last couple of days I was recording them on a Sunday. So you've got all fucking week to get in touch, man. But... Um, Again, while we're talking about it, thanks to everybody who got in touch for the last episode and thanks to a few people um, who have sent me some nice messages privately for some stuff that we talked about. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, right. David Exley uh, got in touch on Facebook. David asked, how is the Couch to 5K going? No very well, mate. No very well. <laughs> Let's just say we got from the couch to the start of the 5k right let's just say that and then we have very quickly rescinded back to the couch and we've now built a protective fort stopping us from leaving said couch that's where we are with the couch to 5k it's it was it was good and i will go back to it uh and he get back into the gym any weight that I feel as I've lost, I think I've put back on again. But that's, that's the problem with being happy, you know? That's the problem with being happy. That's the problem with having an amazing girlfriend, a nice flat, and a great wee dog, right? And enjoying gigs again. That's the problem with being happy, is that you get fat, right? <laughs> that's why when you see when you see people out running, you know, during the day, you're like, they're a very unhappy person. They're not happy, you know? And when you see big fat people, you're like, look at the fucking happiness spilling for the pores. So, David, 5K's not going that well. It, it was good when I did it. We did it for a, a couple of weeks, and I'll be honest, I, I did notice, um, I did notice it was getting easier. So that, that was a, a big thing. But I, I give up stuff too easily, man. You know, I'm I've no got a I'm no good at sticking things, man, you know. So I'll start to see a bit of improvement and I'll go, fucking hell, I'm healthy, and then I stop. Right? It's like it's like festival every year, fringe. I, I walk everywhere, I got them down the stairs, and then two weeks into the fringe, I'm like, fucking hell, man, I've lost about a stone and a half and I'm feeling good and, and then the last two weeks I get taxis everywhere because I think in my head, hey, you've earned this. So did it for a couple of weeks. Very first time I did it, like I said, I felt slightly embarrassed because you're running for 60 seconds and I'm blowing out my arse and I'm going, this is a fucking joke that I can't run for 60 seconds. Then I'm remembering that I'm fucking shifting the best part of 22 stone here. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's heavy gone. And then you move up in your wee stages. Anyone who's done it, I naively thought you just fucking start running 5k, right? So I was shitting myself. But you, you move up in stages and each time you move up, you do find that the stage you were at before suddenly becomes quite easy, if that makes sense. So you're running for a minute, and then the next stage you run for 90 seconds, and then the next stage you run for two minutes. And each time you move up, the one you did before 
becomes the easy point, if that makes sense. So you'll run for a minute quite easily, and when you move up, you run for a minute and a half quite easily, and the last 30 seconds becomes the push. And each time, although you're not conscious that it's getting better, and you might not think you're doing much, but each time it gets a little bit easier. But yes, David, I've, I've pied it, mate, but I will go back to it. I will go back to it. I think what I probably need to do is just sign up to one of these things. You know, sign up to a 5K um, at some point in the year next year so that I know I've got to, I've got to keep doing it because I don't want to fucking blow out my arse at the other end. But I will get back on it again. And, um, hey, if there's, any, if there's any personal trainers out there that I can give some advice, uh, I also need to get back on the weights, man. We just, we, there's a lot we need to do, David. There's a lot we need to do. But right now, the Couch 5K is, is match abandoned, mate. You know, pools panel, I've awarded an away win. But we'll get back on track. Uh, thanks for that, mate. Um, Stephen Barton. Stephen got in touch on Facebook. Stephen has asked, what's the best and worst things about being a comic? Um, weirdly, Stephen, you know, what the one of the good things used to be was we were off when everybody was at work. I was alluding to this earlier on. That was one of the great things during the week. You would have so much time to yourself. You'd go and do things. And now it feels as if every fucker's... Nobody works anymore. You know, the old 95 structure doesn't exist. Um, Best thing about being a comic... For me is just getting to do what I... What I love to do. Um, I enjoy performing. I enjoy doing the gigs. Um... More so now my own gigs rather than the club stuff. Um, I enjoy doing the tour shows. I I enjoy... I like the idea, Stephen, that I can sit down with a blank sheet of paper and I can write down some ideas. I can work on those ideas to make it funny and I can structure them into an hour. And then I can go out, and if I'm lucky, continue to be lucky, I get to speak to people and tell them my stories, and that is what, you know, keeps me going, that's what earns my crust. I'm not really responsible to anyone, I don't have a boss, and um, obviously there's there's a bit of a, a lack in structure sometimes, and you need to be a bit more, you know, push yourself to, to kind of fill your days, because... It's an odd thing being in a in a creative industry or or, or having a, a earning your money through something you create is probably the easy way to say it. Because there's a lot of times when you feel as if you're doing nothing, and you feel as if you're worthless in a sense. You will see people like my missus comes home from work every day, you know, and she's tired. She's worked a full shift. And she's a, a graphic designer, and a, an incredibly talented graphic designer. But she's still in an environment where, you know, it, it's an office and, and, they're, and they're working towards different projects, different goals. And really, if I don't structure my day, then I, a lot of the time I can find myself I sit and do absolutely bugger all. But subconsciously, you, you try and think that, you know, you've maybe thought about something or you've put something together, and a lot of it is the downtime, is you, you have to go and experience things, you know, to try and get ideas, to try and think about stuff. So, the worst thing about it is, as I'm getting older, the travel can be a bit of a pain, I don't really want to be away from home, I don't want to be away from my missus for that long, 
next month, for example, December, I'm, I'm away for a hell of a lot. Um, it's a real mix, mate, you know. Some people will take a lot of good things on, a lot of negative. It's just like, it's oddly, it's like any other job. There are good points and there are bad points. And I suppose it's really up to yourself as to how you kind of structure it to what you, how much you manage it. But I, I love it. Uh, it's the best job in the world. I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine doing anything else uh, with my life or, or really right now in, in this life that I'm living. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So um, I know that probably doesn't really answer your question, but best thing, I don't know, but gigs, mate, gigs are probably the best thing, getting to talk to people, doing shows, the laughter, <laughs> I don't know, man, it's good, but thanks, thanks for your question, mate, thank you very much for, for your question, um, right, let's, let's quickly do, uh, what have we got here, look at some more, Lee Carroll, uh, best and worst ever gig, um, also, who would be in your dream comedy show and why, um, Best gig? I don't know. I've done some nice gigs. Um, best gig? I don't know. I mean, I've had some bad gigs that I fucking died Mars brutally. One, one gig that I thought was going to be horrendous and then actually turned out to be alright. I got I got asked to host this charity uh, event once, and I think it was oh, I think I want to say Irvin. It was doing it was doing Ayrshire way right. And uh, I got booked um, through my manager and I they asked me if I would do a charity thing and I went, no, because it was a weekend. I remember it being like a Friday or a Saturday night. And I went, no, because mostly charity stuff is free, right? You don't get paid to do it. And I went, I'm not giving up, you know, a working night to do something for free. And then they offered me a, a fee to do it and I thought, well, if, there, if there's a fee, you know, and I'm, I'm doing something, you know, I'll... Take it so long story short, take the gig, turn up. Now, I was told I was effectively emceeing this night, and when I got there, it became very apparent from who greeted me that it, it was a foundation, as they had said, but it was a foundation for a, a woman who very sadly had, had passed of cancer. And the way it was told to me was that this was one of the first events that the foundation was doing, and that was the case, but I never realized that the guy who was running it was the husband of the woman who passed. And she just passed that week. Right? She had been helping get the foundation up and running. And very sadly, she passed the week of the event or the week before it. And they decided to go ahead with it anyway. So it's a lot of friends and family in there. It was 400 people. And as you can imagine, it was quite emotionally charged, shall we say. So I was doing about an hour and a half um, at the start where a little bit of stand-up introducing a few things, a um, couple of speakers, a couple of performers, and then we're bringing a band on at the end, then I was done. And I was to go out and get started, and the, the husband of the woman who passed, who's obviously the chair of the foundation, had decided he wanted to, to say a few things. So I came out, did about five minutes, you know, explained why we were here, got everybody going, and actually got a couple of laughs, so I was pleased with that, and then introduced the, the husband of the guy. And he went out, and uh, as you can imagine, you know, it was <laughs> it was like something that a fucking cub your enthusiasm on. He went into this 
lovely speech about the foundation and his wife, and then just broke down into tears. Um, and his two daughters came to join him on stage, and they were all greeting. And I don't think there was a dry eye in the fucking house, you know. And mate, my arsehole was fucking sweating bullets, man. Right, I was. I'm, I I've got to go back on, and I've got to do fifteen minutes at least of quote unquote stand up comedy before bringing on a band. And I remember walking out and going, right, there's, there's one or two ways here, man. Sometimes you just got to roll the dice. And I, I took the mic and I remember saying, I think his name was John or something like that. I remember saying, fucking hell, John, I told you to keep it light. Now, that is one of those moments where, and it's happened a few times when you say something on stage and you think, if this doesn't go well, I am dead beyond a level of death I will have ever experienced on stage. And thankfully, enough people knew that, I think I'd got enough goodwill from the start, that enough people knew it was a joke, that we laughed, and he laughed, so that made it a little bit easier, but mate, there was a brief second when I said, I told you to fucking keep it light, and there was a pause, and I thought, I'm, I'm just going to have to walk, <laughs> I'm just going to have to drop this mic. <laughs> And walk out of here. I mean, obviously, I've been paid up front. Gary Little taught me that. But I thought I'm just going to have to walk out of here in fucking silence. <laughs> but thankfully, I laughed, man. I got a bit of laugh on the floor and we moved on. But for that next 15 minutes, I was shitting myself. <laughs> just in case the whole room just fucking turned on you. A lot of. I mean, this is the thing, right? When people start. We've spoken. I've spoken about this a few times in green rooms, man. And when people uh, start out, a lot of the young guys will say, like, you know, what's your best ever gig? And how many people have you ever gigged in front of, right? And, and they're, they're nice. They've done gigs, like, 3,000 people and did an amazing gig, 2,500 people when I was doing support for Sunday, right? And they were amazing. Don't get me wrong, right? But for for me, it wasn't a particularly enjoyable gig because there's, there's no interaction with the audience. You're just in this vast space. It's not the same as doing, like, you know, a King's Theatre or a Theatre Royal where you're, you're up close in person and you can see people. That's They're amazing gigs as well. But oddly, the stuff that you remember the most is, is the gigs that you don't have to do. And I know that's a horrible thing to say, but like a promoter will phone you and say, like, listen, the gig's been cancelled, but I'm going to pay. I'm thinking, fuck, I don't even need to leave the house. Or I've had one before where I've turned up to a gig and a famous comic has appeared and went, listen, can I jump on? But you take the fee and you're like, fuck it, that amazing. Just sit in your ass. You know, oddly, those are the gigs that I remember. But I've had some lovely gigs over the years where I've I've got to gig with some amazing people and travel to some amazing places. And there's been some brutal gigs, man, where we fucking died in your hole. And it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. But it's, it's, it's good in a way if you're on with mates. If you're on with people you know and you die in your ass. And your mates are there. You, you can take a ripping, you know. That's part of it. You've got to take the fucking the banter. I've had once before we did a gig in Peterhead. And somebody had broken into the pub and stole copper pipe. <laughs> it stole copper pipe at the pub. So the guy didn't know if the gig was going to go ahead. And then when we turned up, we were basically standing in front of two puggies. Just to do a gig. And this woman in a mobility scooter just kept walking, or well, driving. 
in front of us, man. Oh, it was fucking... Some of the mad shit that you do. When you see stuff on television and you think... All these, like, amazing gigs that people do and they travel the world and it's fucking 2,000-seater theatres and whatnot and you go... It's the ones that you're in the back of a pub that you fucking remember where it's just carnage and the arsehole of nowhere or the places you think, fuck me, I'm remembering the, I get booked to do a wake once. Didn't even know it was a wake. Went to the pub, somebody had set up a PA kit, I remember standing there and I was like, where the fuck is it? But there's nobody in this pub, in this function room in a pub. And then eventually a couple of people started out and the guy was saying to me, going to leave at half an hour, mate, they're a wee bit late coming down. And I was like, coming down for where? He says, fucking shit. And then 50 cunts, black and white, suited and booted. Turned up, somebody decided to book it, and I was like, I'm not doing this, man. There's absolutely no way I'm doing this. I think I did about 10 minutes, and then I just chucked it. I was like, this is fucking nonsense, man. I mean, nobody would even turn around to look at me. One point, I thought a fight was going to break it. Aye, some of the stuff you do, man. Absolute carnage. I don't know if I've had a, a what I imagine there's still a terrible gig to come. But no no yet. Nothing nothing pure major yet. But I bet best gigs have been things like, you know, big venues. The first time I played the King's Theatre, always remember that. Um and then the first time I played the what is the Clyde Auditorium at Amadillo. That was amazing. Uh, Line-up wise, I spoke about it in the last one, Tommy Tiernan is my, my hero, I would have him on, um, I would have Carl Donnelly who I think is an absolutely incredible comic and if you haven't seen Carl you need to check him out, um, and oddly I don't know man, if I could go back I'd probably get something like Patrice and Neil, I mean if we're talking fucking ultimate lineups, we'd have Connolly and Richard Pryor on there, fuck me, can you imagine that for a lineup? Me emceeing, Billy Conley, Richard Pryor, Patrice O'Neill, Tommy Taylor. Fucking hell, what a gig. <laughs> I could probably charge seventeen fifty for a ticket of that. Unbelievable. Thanks for your question, oh man. Thanks so much indeed. Um, and if you do have any what to ask or even topics to discuss, then like get in touch with you, man. Go to the website or drop us a wee email or get us on social media. Okay, team, as we approach the end of another episode let's do some news items um, and then we will wrap this bad boy up let's play the jingle today's headlines man claims McDonald's tea contains weed why did the chicken cross the road and sex toys stolen. As always, I mean, I know I keep saying it, but where do you get such a diverse coverage of the world's news? Straight in McDonald's, um, a man claims he was left high as a kite. A medical terminology for being off your tits after drinking an iced tea from McDonald's, which contained wheat. Now, as always, I know nothing of these stories. I'm reading them to you, and we are discovering these gems together. I'm going to say this is a pile of pish. 
the gentleman's name was Parish Brown. That's right, Parish Brown. Now, I've just seen there he's from America. Of course he's from America. Wait, America is just the fuckwits place to hang out. Parish Brown, that's not a real name. And if it is, your parents need their heads rattled. Parish Brown, 24, claimed a staff member at a drive-thru in Hilton Head. Now, Hilton Head sounds like it could be a part of Glasgow. South Carolina. If you've ever been to South Carolina, it is just like Glasgow. Only a bit more sunny. Um, said extra lemon. <laughs> Hold on, I'm just going to do this again. Parish Brown 24 claimed a staff member at a drive-thru in Hilton Head, South Carolina said extra lemon in a weird way when he purchased the drink. Who, Who's getting, I mean, first of all, iced tea is disgusting, but is, co- is extra lemon code for stick a bit of weed in there? He said he ordered a 10-piece box of chicken nuggets, a double cheeseburger and a sweet, a sweet tea with light ice and extra lemon. Light ice? What the fuck is light ice? Does that mean a wee bit of ice? Or is this some fucking American? What what is this with Americans, man? They, see, we we're we're just getting this now, right? You know, we we people would just say, "Give me a coffee, mate." And you see things, and it's and it feels like, "Give me a soy latte, hold the milk." double the cream with a Colombian grind you're like just fucking give me a coffee sweet tea with light ice and extra lemon but he immediately noticed that the drink tasted differently when he took a sip and said he carried on drinking it because he was thirsty he's fucking thirsty he's also he's not eh he's been stoned out his box he's went to McDonald's because he's hit the munchies he's went give me 10 chicken nuggets and a double cheeseburger and do you know what a sweet tea, hey, light ice, extra lemon. To his shock, when he took the lid off, Parrish saw three bags of weed inside the cup. <laughs> he said, I have never had weed a day in my life, so immediately after I started drinking it, I started to feel weird and it didn't taste like something I recognised. But you drank it anyway, you dick, because you were fucking thirsty. I was high and panicking. And at work. So I called my dad. I didn't want to get in trouble for this. Oh, shut your fucking mouth. Is this how we're doing drug deals now? Rock up to McDonald's drive-thru and go, Can I get some uh, extra lemon in my iced tea? Do you want light ice? You're damn right I want light ice, bitch. (laughs) Three bags of weed in your fucking McDonald's cup. And we thought the biggest problem with McDonald's now was paper straws. No, no. If you know the code, now you get things like uh, secret menu items. You've seen these on TV shows where if you go and you ask for a, a secret item, some restaurants will have stuff and you need to be in the know. Apparently if you go to McDonald's and ask for an iced tea with light ice and extra lemon, you get three fucking whopping bags of weed. Now, how how big is the cup or how, how small are the bags of weed? Something Disney smell right here, Parish, and it's no your fucking extra lemon. No arrests have been made at this stage. <sighs> Surprising, eh? Must be a slow fucking crime day in South Carolina. 
A representative for McDonald's said the company is fully cooperating with law enforcement to validate this claim. I bet they fucking are. Let's hope that the people are brought to justice swiftly. Tried and tested uh, joke, one that's been around for years, uh, and, and a question that has troubled many a philosopher. Why did the chicken cross the road? Well, uh, apparently the reason is because a policeman told him to do so. There is a picture in the Metro, uh, again, cutting-edge journalism, of a police officer uh, actually stopping traffic to allow a chicken to cross the road. Let's hope no one was in danger at the time when the police officer took it upon himself to deal with this, uh, what I imagine to be uh, a severely uh, pressing law enforcement issue. The article goes on to say this is a bizarre moment. Police stopped traffic so a chicken could cross the road. Officers from Avon and Somerset. <laughs> Avon and Somerset. All of these stories are from places where the locals are, let's just say, special. Let's just say that. Officers from Avon and Somerset were returning from a job when they spotted the feathery citizen. He's not a citizen, he's a fucking chicken. On the pavement, waiting to ensure the animal safety, one of the cops bravely stood in the middle of a residential road, hardly bravely, bravely, uh, there's a car that must be a good 40 feet away from both man and chicken. But, hey, it's the police, you know, doing a brave job. The forces shared a photo of the unusual encounter on social media. Why? Why did the police do things like this? Do they try and make themselves seem more human by doing this stuff? When, when the reality is that the people who are in charge of the social media feeds for police stations, they're no police. You know, they're, they're probably civilians who maybe were bullied at school and a bit cunty. To try and make actual polls look normal. On the way back from a pre-planned operation, I assume that was getting a Greg's, uh, our officers assisted this feathery citizen in crossing the road safely. It's not just swans. Eh? Fuck me. Uh, someone went on to write uh, under the uh, post on social media, no foul play in the neighbourhood today. My God, the people of uh, Avon and Somerset are absolute jokesmiths, eh? Why did Chicken Cross Road? Because the fucking polis helped him across. I bet the chicken was shitting himself as well. Hey, I'm just going to the shops to get fucking... Ten fags and some roll-ups. Get off my back, officer. <laughs> and last, but by no means least, this may come as a shock um, if anybody has been waiting for a, a delivery through their Amazon, but sex toys worth one million. My God. Sex toys worth a whopping one million pounds stolen as the lorry driver slept in lay-by. A truck driver was left unable to deliver his load, I beg your pardon, after thieves stole £1 million worth of sex toys from the back of his vehicle. The assortment of goods was meant to go to Rocksoft Limited in Northamptonshire, but was stolen from a lay-by while the driver slept. While the thieves are likely to be satisfied with their load, it is likely they could not do hard time as police launched an appeal to track them down. They arrived... They arrived for the haul and buzzed off at some point between 1am and 6.30am on September the 18th. 
well, the fucking Metro has gone to town on that. Oh, it's our old friend, Richard Hartley Parkinson. He's back with another wonderful uh, news piece, and he's, he's way down there. So some poor lorry driver has pulled into the lay-by, he's fucking ripped the heat clean off it, had one of the best kips of his life, and he's woke up not only lighter in load, but also lighter in the back of his truck. A million pound, but I think that is either a slight exaggeration or an insurance job. My truck's been robbed. And how much were the goods worth? A million pound. Exactly one. Right on to the penny, mate. One million pound. Actually, I remember years ago, man, Leslie, a fridge broke. And uh, something happened, like defrosted. And I'm going, right, uh, what was in the fridge at the time? Salmon. Sorry? Salmon. Every shelf. <laughs> Every shelf in that fucking fridge was full of salmon, mate. Couldn't he? If he opened it up, salmon would fall out and tap you. Salmon, corners of salmon. What kind of salmon? Fresh, wild fucking Scottish salmon, mate. 60 pound a kilo. Corners it. This smells rocks off limited. I, I, I sense this may be an inside job. I sense for a million pounds worth of sex toys. Unless these are like fucking high end robotic love dolls or something and, and you know I don't know the value of these things but I imagine a million quid that's about a bit steep I mean you'd shit yourself if you were a driver wouldn't you I mean I suppose if you're transporting anything but a million pound worth of dildos you wake up you go to hell and you go that's fucking how the truck's pulling quite easy oh hold on a minute hold on a minute how do you shift them? Surely if you've got a lorry full of enough stock that it comes to a million pound, they're going to have to have another lorry to offload that, isn't they? None of this makes any sense. Do you know what, Richard Hartley Parkinson, see instead of writing a wee innuendo piece, maybe you should have done some actual journalism here and discovered what's going on. If you've got a, a truck full of gear, and it disappears. Cunts only just rocking up in a transit van. You know, there's no, there's not just like two fucking boys in a Ford car loading a million pound worth of gear into the back of the motor. They must have had another lorry. Am I, am I, am I being stupid here? Surely that, that seems to make sense. God knows. But that's your news. That's your news for for this week, ladies and gents. Um, sex toys for a million pound stolen. Why did the chicken cross the road? Because the police helped a bastard across. And uh, a gentleman finds uh, weed inside his McDonald's iced tea. What a bloody news episode this has been. Right, okay team. Uh, listen, thanks uh, thanks for listening um, to another episode. Um, this, this has felt, I'm going to be honest with you, this has felt like a bit of a, bit of a lacklustre one, man. I was... Uh, I was vibing this, I was right up for it, so I, I feel as if I've, I've, I've left you a bit flat, and I apologise for that, but hey, can he all be gold, man? Can he all be gold? Um, everyone who got in touch, everyone who has bought tickets to upcoming shows, thank you very much indeed for doing that. Um, there is an event on December 8th at the Icebox in Glasgow, and it is an event for men's mental health. Now, I have... Um, st- I was going to say tweeted, but I've actually p- 
put out on uh, Facebook the the link to the event. Um, as far as I, I know, it is a, a male-only um, event, um, and it's called The Big Talk. Um, if you are in Glasgow on the 8th of December, or if, you, if you're near it, uh, drop along. Uh, I think it's going to be a wonderful event. I would love to have gone along. I would actually have loved to have been speaking at it, but I'm going to be in Birmingham um, on that day, so I can't make it along, but... Um, if, you, if you're going to be in Glasgow or if somebody you're interested in, please do go and check out 8th of December. Um, you can get the icebox on Facebook and Twitter and all the information on tickets and whatnot is, is on those pages, so please go and check that out. Um, stuff that I've got coming up, like I said, 1st of December, the Glee in Glasgow, uh, the last tour date for this year of White Noise before we release 2020 dates. And on March the 7th of next year, 2020, I will be doing a brand new show um, at the Classic Grand in Glasgow. Tickets are already on sale. Um, if you go to my website, go to the tour dates, you will see it on there. Tickets are shifting like hotcakes. They've already gone out to the mailing list, so this is now general sale. So there's a handful left. If you haven't got your ticket, grab it now. And I will see you in March for the brand new show. Should be a good, it should be, it will be. It'll be a fucking great night because I've got some good ideas and I think it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be fucking great. But sign up to the mailing list, follow me on the social medias, link, subscribe, share your cunts, do the usual stuff. Thank you very much indeed for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please share it out there and I will speak to you again next Monday. Have a good weekend team. I'll see you in the battlefield onwards. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.